When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. What in the world is going on in Fort Worth, Texas? No doubt, dude. Have you caught on to this story too, Deej? I So I know the bare minimum. I know that they canceled the game because I had to go change a bunch of stuff. Um, and then it's getting... X was getting kind of spicy. Three-point shooting from Baylor last night was a bare minimum, I would say. <laughs> there was that as well. Except um, for that... The, I mean, there was a couple there late that I was like, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, they hit a couple in overtime. <laughs> yeah, it, it may be the first time I've ever heard of a women's basketball team holding an Oklahoma drill. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Injury bug uh, apparently has really bitten the TCU women's basketball team because K-State women were supposed to play TCU in Fort Worth tonight. Mm-hmm. They were already down in Fort Worth. Had shoot around or had a practice there yesterday. Yeah, and in uh, the news comes out earlier this morning that TCU says they're way too banged up to play, so they had to cancel their next two games. Officially, it's a forfeit, so it would go down in the books as a 2 nothing win for the Cats. It will not count towards their their regular season record, but it will count towards the conference record because obviously you can win a regular season championship with the conference record. Regular season records don't win you anything other than get you a spot in the NCAA tournament, but along with a solid resume, but K-State 6-0 in Big 12 play. Without without playing that last game, we did it. <laughs> Went down there and got the dub. I don't know, and I, you know, in women's basketball, you're allowed 15 scholarship players, yes. and I think TCU had 12. Mm. And then recently, I mean, they've lost a couple of starters. One player, I mean, blew out her knee so bad it's now a jigsaw puzzle. It's a mess. Oh. I mean, it's a it, it was a real mess. So she's clearly out for the year. And that's Jaden Owens. Their their best player was out with a dislocated finger for the you know undisclosed amount of time and apparently i mean it really hit the fan yesterday because now they don't feel comfortable with fielding a team listen this is this is supposed to be a big 12 school you put the word out you put the you click all on the server and you say hey if you've ever driven if you've ever dribbled a basketball before in your life meet down at the stadium Meet down at the athletics stadium, and we'll try out and pick pick four girls and let's roll, man. They're literally going to do open tryouts tomorrow. You have to. That's what you got to do. I'm sorry. Pick four and let's go. We're going to beat you anyway. I mean, come on. We're we're this is Kansas State University. I'm, we're we got more we got more serious things to worry about than some stupid team that can't field it. I mean, I mean, I've never seen. This kind of start to where they are now when it comes to a college basketball team because oh TCU started fourteen and zero. Jeez, they've lost four in a row. 
And now they can't even put a team on the floor. Right. Yeah. yeah, they're one and four in conference. One and five in conference. Excuse uh-huh. me. I mean, what a sudden crash and burn for first year head coach Mark Campbell. Not Matt Campbell. He didn't take the women's basketball job <laughs> at TCU, despite all the other rumors he has out there about taking jobs or whatever, like uh, a Chris Kleiman and Lance Leipold. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Mark Campbell. Uh, he used to be at uh, Oregon, Oregon State, all over the. Pacific Northwest took the uh, TCU job, and now he doesn't have enough to play the Cats. So K-State women will come back home, and they'll play against KU. That game is definitely going to happen, as far as we know. Yeah, man. Uh, Unless something crazy happens. Saturday, 1 o'clock, and guys, here on today's show, we have two pairs of tickets to give away. We'll do uh, both pairs in the second hour, because we are a little bit guest-heavy here in the first hour. Hour number two um, will also feature... um, K-State men's hoops talk, of course. They beat Baylor yesterday in overtime, 68-64. We'll lead off with talk about it as well. Plus some Ask Us Anything. Voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, will join us at approximately 440 to talk. Chiefs getting ready for the divisional round of the playoffs on the road to take on the Buffalo Bills. Guys, it's Wednesday, and you know what that means. AEW Dynamite is tonight from North Charleston Coliseum. In North Charleston, South Carolina, three title matches, three titles are up for grabs, including the AEW World Championship on the line in the main event. But that also means we're joined by an employee of K-State Online. Not DY this week. I wanted Mason on this week. Yeah, I want Mace Dog on because he asked a he asked a tough question at yeah. the press conference last night. So we're now pleased to be joined by. Mason, both from K-State Online. Mason, how's the little girl doing? Looks good to me. She's (laughs) just doing her thing, chilling right now. Uh, She's laying on the floor, getting a little tummy time in, as they call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Supposedly good for her development. So Mm. I'm just going to let her do her thing. One sock on, one sock off. Uh, as long as she doesn't cry, that's really uh, that's really a win for me. Mm-hmm. Hey, we all have our own style on how to party. <laughs> okay, so we're at five months. What, when, did when do babies start crawling? So she's getting close. She'll start. She's gonna start rolling over and start. Oh yeah, she's a rolling machine. Yeah, right dude. And they start. To, they kind of do the front and back thing where they look like they're gonna start a little bit. You know, they're like, oh, 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 oh. yep. And then yep. see, this is. Uh, this is where what we call the uh, the danger zone, pal, um, because soon, very very soon, she's gonna move and it's gonna be cute and you're gonna be taking pictures and it's gonna be awesome, and then reality's gonna set in because then she's gonna start walking and then your life is over as you, you then she's just in I mean just into everything. It's weird how already. Well, five months they're already kind of into stuff, and you're like, "How do you, how do you do that? You can't move, but just wait till she's mobile, starts crawling. Oh boy, you're in for it, pal." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm ready for a lot of that stuff to happen. I, I guess the thing that concerns me is that it seems like there's an intermediate period where they can start to do things with their body but they still can't do a lot of things with their brain. And that seems like a dangerous combo for me to have to pay attention to on a daily basis. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, she's doing everything, you know, the little – she's getting some false starts in. Oh, yeah. uh, It's false start sitting. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
she's you know she's fine. I'm just gonna start calling her Jawan Taylor. <laughs> Did you say false starts? I swear you said false starts, as in a five yeah. yard penalty. Yeah, it's a it's it's like like they're on all fours. It's like right? she's going to crawl, right? But you know, she lurches and then comes back, but she can't do anything. Yeah, they go sometimes they go backwards first. They learn how to like crawl backwards before they can go forwards. It's odd. Um, but then, you know, it, Barb, you remember Barb here at, at the sure. broadcasting? She, she said mm-hmm. the funniest thing. She goes, when they're little, 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 you just, you can't wait for them to talk and to walk. And then they start talking to walking and you want them to sit down and shut up. And it is like the number one thing, dude, because you can't wait. And then you're like, oh, this is an all day thing. This walking and talking. Okay. Great. 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 Yeah, no, that's that seems about accurate because I do think to myself, like, man, it's going to be really easy when, like, she can kind of do some of these things, but it's because I'm going to want her to be able to just sit there and do her own thing and not have to be, like, as locked in on her. So I think really what I've taken away from all this is that it's really never being a parent uh, that you kind of always just have to be on your toes, which I guess is what I signed up for, uh, and it'll be all right, but (laughs) – it's uh, it you know can get a little testy sometimes in the house between her and I. I don't know, baby having a problem with her stance sounds like a coach nah. problem to me. <laughs> Mason last night, cats get it done in OT. Packed house, eighty six eight. Or check that, sixty eight sixty four. The final, cats win for the fifth time this year in overtime. Drum Tang now ten zero in OT. Uh, any worries last night that K State wouldn't get it done? Uh, yeah, a lot of worries at a lot of different times. Uh, I honestly, I, I kept, I, I going into it. I said, I thought K-State was going to win that game and I believed it up until, well, the, the, the stretch that I didn't really hurt and killed my confidence for K-State was after Tyler Perry hit the transition three to go up 45, 42 K-State kept getting stops, but the offense just died again, as it has many times this year. Uh, and they couldn't get that bucket to ever extend the lead to a second possession. And I think Baylor immediately came back at him with like a 7-0 run at that point. And that's when I started to feel like, man, I just don't know that K-State's going to be able to have the offense to actually get over the hump and win this thing. Uh, and then the there was another moment where, where Baylor hit a three late in the game in overtime, and I thought, ah, eh, this is – not looking good, but somehow K State kind of overcame adversity at every little point. Some of it they set up for themselves. Um, I, I used the word stolen last night for the win for K State, and not in the sense that K State didn't deserve to win that game. They deserved to win that game just as much, if not more, than Baylor. I, I think K State played harder than Baylor last night. I think K State went out and made more plays than Baylor last night, but. If you look at the scoreboard at various points from basically the final five minutes of the game through overtime, you could look up at any point and go, I just don't see a path how this team wins the game. I mean, K-State was down like five with like a minute left in overtime. Uh, and, and all these things had to go their way. And I think that's a credit to Jerome Tang and the players that they never really got panicked. Uh, in in a sense, and they found ways to make the plays and come through and get it done. Honestly, the only guy that I thought panicked in the game last night was Tyler Perry. Mm -hmm. He kind of lost his head a little bit after Baylor scored the go-ahead bucket. He got beat on on the cut, and 
he immediately hands on the head and like you can tell he's kind of like oh man what did we just do like all this i didn't like that and that's why he got fouled there he was missing one of those free throws. He just he was not in it in that moment in his headspace. I think K State was fortunate he made the one to force overtime, and then they go over into to a timeout, and Jerome Tang is trying to have to calm him down and get him to you know come back to planet Earth with the rest of your team right now. So that was a that was a little bit of a concerning thing for me last night uh, that that Tyler Perry seemed to lose a little bit of that mental edge that I think the rest of the team retained. I mean Arthur Kaluma was phenomenal in crunch time cam carter got maybe screwed over with fouling out in the game but when he was in there he came through and made plays and then everybody else was so big down the stretch and i think that is probably another really impressive thing to me is that all these guys that don't have as big of roles on this team found ways to make plays in overtime rj jones uh i mean obviously dorian finister has been a revelation and will mcnair had a really bad first half again and was basically unplayable. They kept playing Jarrell Colbert, but he got a second chance. And while I still question some of the methods uh, in Will McNair's usage in the second half and overtime, he did grab some major rebounds for K-State. He played better, and he was a contributor down the stretch. So uh, uh, last night was just a, a big credit and really the best example you can give of Jerome Tang being a fantastic basketball coach and getting this team to win games like that against number nine Baylor. Will McNair, I mean, back-to-back games, he has struggled, but he was pretty key down this stretch to either build K-State a lead back up in Lubbock, or like you said, he grabbed two pretty big rebounds in a row when K-State was making that 9-0 run that took less than a minute uh, there on the defensive end. Um Tyler Perry, I thought, got lucky twice. He was bricking threes, and he was trying to put the team on his back. He got lucky twice where you mentioned one of them, Mason, and that was where he, he lost his dribble mm-hmm. in the backcourt. And I can't yeah. remember who it was for Baylor, but that player for Baylor tried to make a play, and it turned into incidental contact. And it was a lucky whistle for K-State, which led to free throws, and K-State could have won the game there. Uh, also on the crossover dribble in the front court, uh, in front of the K-State bench in front of Tang. When he tried to go back to the left hand, and the ball bounced high, and it went past his hand, I didn't think Baylor touched it. And when yeah, I saw that, I, I couldn't believe that they came out of the review and said that that, that was out on Baylor. Still, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't obviously know what the TV camera looked like you know, being there at the game last <laughs> night, but it did not look like it looked like a play where he just lost the ball. I was stunned. Mason, let's take a timeout because I want to bring up Tyler Perry again when we come back. Not like we're piling on him or anything. I I mean, he's still finished. 11 of 12 from the free throw line, 18 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists in the game and 4 steals. I mean, he was pretty big in crunch time for the Cats, even though he was missing some threes. Mason asked him a a challenging question in postgame. We'll get Mason's reaction to TP's answer when we come back on the game. As Troy said in the update, in hour number two, we will have two pairs of tickets to give away. We'll do it in separate giveaways, one pair for each giveaway. For K-State women's basketball, they host the Kansas Jayhawks on Saturday with tip-off at 1 o'clock from Bramlage Coliseum. 
For a few more moments, we're joined once again by Mason Voth from K-State Online, who was at last night's game between K-State and Baylor, which the Cats win in overtime 68-64. Mason, you were at that game and also the Villanova game. Which pop was louder? Columa's and one on a four-point play against Baylor last night or TP's game-winning three in OT against Villanova? It's a good question. I mean, those were some loud moments. Uh, and I think I maybe even said coming out of the Villanova game, like it might be the loudest that I've heard it for a non-KU game in my life. But I, I think that the Kaluma three was above that uh, because, I mean, the crowd was fired up last night. It was really good. And it's a top 10 team. It's Baylor. So they've been, a, you know, a nationally respected program for five years now in terms of being like one of the powers of college basketball. And obviously, to do it in that style, knocking down the three to get you the lead, but also the foul to go with it, uh, I, I think it was definitely that moment. So uh, I would give I would give the nod to the Kaluma three. You may be surprised by this, but you know I have a I have a pretty good spot right at the games. Um, <laughs> I you actually don't thought say. I actually thought the, could be better. The Nova shot was a little bit louder. And maybe it had to do with, I mean, they're both just ginormous, blow the roof off the place type of pops. Um, but it was in short, I mean, it was, there's was just a few seconds left against Nova when that shot was hit. And it was no doubt about it, a game winner. So yeah, no, that's fair. That's, that's, that's totally fair. I, I mean, it's close and my, look, my memory is not great. So there is a, uh, there's a good chance that you, you're, you could be right there. Cause I remember in the moment thinking like, that was a pretty good pop that you got. But last night, I thought it got loud a couple of times. Uh, I think Scott Drew did a good job of taking the crowd out of it a handful of times with his timeout usage. Um, he he used them right before TV timeouts, and then you got like back-to-back breaks, and mm-hmm. it calmed things down for his team because the crowd was definitely impactful last night. And I mean, if, we talked about it pretty much all weekend on KSO. Baylor had only played one true road game up until last night, and it was at Oklahoma State, which most people, if you've ever been to a game in Stillwater, know that is not a very scary <laughs> crowd to face. Not anymore. So, yeah. so it really got to them, and, uh, and the crowd played a huge role in the win last night. Yeah, th- Man, Baylor, their three-point shooting has tanked in Big 12 play because uh, they, they were off the charts. I mean, they're still the number one team in the nation in shooting the three, but that's all non-conference work. In Big 12 play, they're one of the worst teams in shooting the three. That's pretty amazing to see Baylor just, you know, and give credit to K-State. I mean, they they really worked their tails off to try to contest as many threes as they could. You know, Langston Love, who was the hot hand for Baylor last night off the bench, had a wide-open three to try to steal the lead in overtime, and he missed it. So there were a couple of times Baylor could have been clutch, and they bricked a couple of threes pretty much like they did all night long. Mason, let's go back to last night's press conference. You asked one of the last questions of the night, and I'm sorry if I butcher this, but I do have the answer audio, and I want to play it back, but let me make sure I got this right. You asked TP about, okay, you were over 40% for two years at North Texas. Now you're under, you know, right around 30 33% so far in your time at K-State, and you wanted his reaction to that, right? Well, yeah, I was just trying to get to – to inside his head on why he thinks he's struggling because I like I can think of why it might be uh, we can hear Jerome Tank but like 
in that moment, I think it's good to get it from the guy that's doing it himself. And because I think it can be telling for a couple of things. It can, number one, you know, give us insight into how he sees the game. It can give us insight into how he might fix the problem. Because I will say this, like Tyler Perry is still doing a lot of good things for K-State right now. And I, I, I don't want anybody to think that I Tyler Perry guy. I know that those people are out there thought of Tyler Perry and I love the shooting ability that he should possess and I like I was I was all for the pull-up three last night you can ask you know KSU underscore fan who was right next to me I could see the play developing and before he's even stopped to shoot the ball I'm just saying love it love it love it and he let it fly I Tyler Perry I think making shots is critical to what this team can do moving forward because we know the defense it's probably the best in the Big 12. It's one of the better ones in the country probably since, you know, after the first quarter of the season finished. And if K-State can just get a little bit of offense, you know, it doesn't even have to be average. They just need to be slightly below average because they've been way below average lately. They get slightly below average. They are going to be a really dangerous team. And Tyler Perry is the catalyst to that. He is what should be the best shooter on the team. So I just wanted to kind of get an, a gauge of where he was at. Here's TP's answer. I think beginning of the year was all mental. It was just all mental for me. I kept kept trying to figure out ways what was going on with my shot and you know listen to out not outside noise and it was it was more mental than it was anything that was wrong with my shot. Um, <clears throat> I wholeheartedly believe in my jumper and I'll never stop believing it. I got a great group of guys around me and coaches that believe in it and so. I'm not worried about misses at this point because um, nobody remembers misses when that confetti falls. And on top of that, man, TP's been a great leader, you know, whether the shots is going in or not. I feel like he's been a great point guard for us, and, you know, he's not dictated by whether shots go in or not. He's dictated by if we win or not. And that's a tell sign of a great point guard. Hey, Mason, I'll get your reaction here in just a second. I just want to chime in and say, and I'm sure you've said the same thing on the KSO show, that – Tyler Perry, you just said it as a matter of fact that he, outside of the three-point shooting, he's still doing a lot of other things, and he's doing it in a great way with the assists and the passing and running the offense. And I think at times he held on to the ball too much um, in that second half and trying to create a shot, working his tail off to create a shot. But I don't want him to stop shooting because he can be that great three-point shooter. And right now in Big 12 play, he's up, down, up, down, up, down. Pattern says on Saturday he's going to go off, but – let you have the floor and uh, get your reaction to his comment. Well, I sentiment of what he's saying there. I, I will say, like you know, the the thing about like nobody remembers the misses. People will remember the misses if you keep shooting eight from three in games. But I'm with you. I want him to keep shooting. Shooter shoot, and when you're open, shoot it. The problem, I think, in in my opinion, from Tyler Perry, and this ties into what he said about the mental aspect. He's had a tough time with his spatial awareness of realizing when he is open and when he isn't open. Because when we've seen him with space and he knows that there's space, like on the transition three last night, or when he's able to get enough separation on a step back against Villanova or Oral Roberts in in overtime, he has been the shooter that K-State was promised. And I think that that is kind of the key here for him is figuring that out. Though, here's what I'll say also about asking that question last night. The number one thing that I loved was Arthur Kaluma immediately stepping up unprompted 
and defending Tyler Perry and coming to his aid there and sticking up for his guy. I That is the most impressive thing that I have seen or heard from a K-State player this season, and I respect the heck out of it, and I think it's a really big deal for this team moving forward. I think we got a lot of things last night that indicate this team is growing in terms of learning how to win together and how to be teammates, which is going to go a long way in developing the stuff that they're struggling with right now. And so these guys believe in each other. They believe in sacrificing what needs to be sacrificed for each other. And I I think that's why we're starting to see K-State reach their peak. And the team that we've seen in Big 12 play is wildly different than any version of the team that we saw in the non-con. And that even accounts for their, their two best wins up until conference play against Providence and Villanova. And let me tell you about this latest piece of growth for TP in my eyes that he only hit one three last night. He was one of eight. He struggled from that area. The last two games, he only hit one three. He all around just struggled to score the basketball. He was not really getting to the free throw line very much. The previous time was against West Virginia, six points. The time before that, one three, Chicago State. He had five points. Different story against Baylor, where he was getting to the foul line. He was making the free throws, 11 of 12. He had one three against Baylor, but finished with 18 points. So he made up for those misses. Uh, Mason, quick, a couple of quick ones before we let you go. we got a short time here. Next three games, home against Oklahoma State, on the road, Iowa State, and Houston. In those three games, what will K-State win? How many will they lose? I think they go 2-1. and one. Which road game do they win? Uh, it's tough to uh, it's tough to say. I say two and one just to give myself some cushion. I, I really do think that they can win in Hilton next week, though. Um, and I, you know, part of this is because I'm a uh, a certified Iowa State hater in terms of I don't actually think they uh, are as good as some things have shown this year. They're still a good team. Everything else. Um, but I think K-State can handle it. And as we know, defense travels no matter the sport. Like, that's the one thing that if you play hard on defense and smart, you're going to give yourself an opportunity. And, uh, you know, this K-State-Iowa State series over the last however many years has been kind of wonky where K-State has gone on the road in Ames and won some games that you wouldn't think they would or they shouldn't. And I, I think K-State can do it. The, the momentum is high right now. They're playing good basketball, and that would be another huge step. But I also won't rule out them beating Houston just from the standpoint of, like, Houston's already gotten rocked by the Big 12, and these guys are going to walk into the Fertitta Center down there, and it's going to be a cakewalk compared to other Big 12 venues that they've ever played in. Like, you're facing a mid-major crowd down there, basically, uh, in in Houston. So I, I look forward to seeing what they can do next week with, uh, some more big road challenges ahead. And then obviously, like, you can't look past Oklahoma State. Um, they are the worst team in the league right now based on how they're playing. And it'll be kind of fascinating to see what version of them you get on Saturday night because they didn't even try to put up a fight with KU last night at home. Speaking of KU, you told me last night you will, you will be going to the K-State women's basketball game against KU. Are you on the clock or are you going as a fan? I'm, I'm, I'm going as a fan. That is a uh, – that is a family experience for uh, for me on Saturday. So we're going to see uh, how Elliot enjoys her first taste of the Lady Cats, uh, Middies Kitties, as we like to call them in this house. Mm-hmm. So 
we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, but I am looking forward to it because obviously they're playing good basketball, and uh, it's been a pretty fun time this year. So it'll be a long day, but uh, it'll be nice to go to a basketball game as a fan, and then uh, you know get to work Saturday night. Well, with that, Mason, we'll wrap it up. We'll see you Saturday in Bramlage, and thanks for your time. Awesome. Always, always love being back to where it all started. This guy. I know. Yep. <laughs> I was blanking. I was trying to think of who used to talk like that. Uh, I can't remember who always closed their interviews like, uh, hey, it's great talking college football with you from Manhattan or something like that. We'll always close with that same line. Phil Steele. Uh, Phil Steele, yes, there you go. Phil Steele always closed with a line like that. Hey, it's always great to come on in Manhattan and talk college football with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just a little quick nudge to the hometown, a little, little yeah. cheap cheap pop a little is what cheap, we call in the business. Yeah, Cheap hometown pop, dude. Got to love that. Great to be in Cincinnati. <laughs> You're in Detroit. <laughs> That's Mason Voth from K-State Online. We'll take a timeout. When we come back... We uh, turn to the Kansas City Chiefs. Voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, next. Back on the game, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, David G., and Travion Berkland on our board today. Kansas City Chiefs with a playoff win. The coldest game in Arrowhead Stadium history. Chiefs over the Dolphins, 26-7. They're now on to the divisional round. They'll play the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. That game coming up on Sunday with kickoff at 5.30. We're now joined by the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. Mitch, before we get to uh, the Chiefs, did you catch that K-State basketball win last night against Baylor? I did not. We had the Chiefs Kingdom show last night. Um, I was listening to it and then had to be on a, a, a show last night, so I did not catch it. But I tried to tried to uh, get up to speed as quickly as I could when I saw right a four point play down five with a minute to go and and uh, our Creighton transfer gets a four point play and I uh, love it. What's that? That's a heck of a win to not only beat those guys but to do it the way they did it. That's that's something that could lead to uh, even more good fortune later. Well, meanwhile in Kansas City this past weekend, I mean the the coldest game. In NFL history, and the Chiefs get it done twenty-six to seven. You know, I had a couple of takeaways from this one, but you know, running the football is a necessary thing to establish when it's a cold game like that. And the Chiefs' defense was able to keep Miami for the most part offensively in check for the whole night. That had to be huge. It was enormous, and it's been there. And first of all, I mean, like this is the fourth coldest game in NFL history in the playoffs to have it minus five to minus seven minus 28 to minus 30 i do a field pass uh, facebook live show we do for 65 tpt you try to keep your face covered and then but you got to do the show you can't do that with a ski mask on and so you uh i mean it just was actually just immediately like froze your face uh it was like nothing i've been around uh maybe one other time but anyway not for a football game so it was uh yeah, it was crazy, and I'm super. I put on a Twitter slash X, uh, like the next day or the day after. I was just really proud of the players and team, the Chiefs' kingdom. People showed up for this game, and they were into it. And they were loud. But let's go back to defending the run. That was the biggest threat by the Miami Dolphins coming into the game. Was their ability to not only run the ball but get chunk runs, 
No team in the NFL this year has had more big runs, 50-plus runs, 20-plus runs, than the Dolphins. We didn't play uh, Devon Achan in Germany, but he was out there on Saturday night. And the fact that he did not even have a double-digit run, nor did Raheem Mostert. I mean, their largest, longest run was a scramble by Tua. And so it was a phenomenal job by the Chiefs defensively to disallow any runs, uh, for the most part, in effectiveness, and then, of course, to limit the uh, big, giant chunk run. Somebody else I was very impressed with, and even though it wasn't the longest tries in the world, certainly, Harrison Butker made four field goals in the game, and he has been just so solid all season long. But when it's so cold like that, you're like kicking a cinder block. I, I was wondering. You, I, you are. Yeah. I was looking around, and I couldn't find like any like particular stats, and like him making that many field goals in such a cold game. Do you have any stats that really show off how amazing that was with dealing with the cold and how many times he kicked? No, and especially that he was kicking to our right, which is basically the north northeast east part of the stadium. He was kicking into a into the face. Basically, wind was in his face and a crosswind, and those were hard kicks, even. Even a 28-yarder was going to be hard. And I even said on the air, this is not a bargain. His, uh, I talked to him after the game, and he, he said that his foot and the inside of his foot and his ankle basically were black and blue. Mm-hmm. His, his most impressive kick, Mitch, of the night was a kickoff that actually reached the end zone. Because kicks going that way to my right or to the east part of the stadium were not even getting remotely close to the goal line. There was one time, he just cranked it up, and it was a it was a touchback at a critical point of the game after one of those field goals. And I was like, I hope he's not hurt because he just let it fly. And so he kicked that cinder blocker. I said a fire hydrant as hard as he could. That's what it was like. And when people see four field goals a short distance and they're just looking at it, don't know the the uh, consequences. Or, I mean, sorry, the circumstances. Uh, they'll be uh, woefully underrating his performance. That was phenomenal uh, for Harrison Becker to make those kicks. Curious if you've ever seen, and I believe it was due to the cold, I'm not exactly sure, but when Mahomes' helmet broke on that hit, had you ever seen something like that before? Nope, nothing like it. Um, And it was due to the cold. I talked to, and Alan Wright, our equipment manager, he's unreal, number one in the league, and his staff, they deserve a ton of credit too. They should get some things they had to make, I was just talking to him today about it, they took the hand warmers, but they, they somehow put them, they, they created some Rube Goldberg invention where they made like these giant hand warmers, but they did it on their own. And he said, in the middle of the night, I'm thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And he came up with this idea. And so he basically jury-rigged this huge hand warmer for everybody using a bunch of little hand warmers. And I thought, man, that's borderline genius. But he talked about the helmet situation. It was a scramble. And he said, I should have been heating those helmets because when Pat had his broken, he couldn't get the new one on. And keep in mind, he's got to have the radio helmet. Like, he doesn't get just any helmet. Mm -hmm. So you could see him when you go back and watch the game that he's, like, trying to fiddle with it, guys, and Trey Smith's trying to help him get it on. It's like putting on a a cap that's too small. And and Alan goes, I wish I would have heated that thing. Um but still, uh, the Chiefs survived it. But our equipment staff was phenomenal in that game. People overlook that kind of stuff. That's one of those uh, where you know, yep. it, it's tremendous to be able to look back and say, well, I should have done. There's no way you even have a concept of thinking of that no. going in. 
Nope, no way. And and again, the fourth. This was Lambo esque, right? This was. Uh, we had nothing to compare it to in a athletic contest. I mean, I'm broadcasting cold games, but outside broadcasting cold games, had nothing like this. It, this was uh, this just took the cake, and for these guys to survive and basically thrive in all three phases was uh, just a testimony to this team and kind of where they are. And I think it goes back to getting that pseudo bye week of rest uh, where uh, most of these guys that are the centerpieces of this team didn't play at all or if any, very little. And that Charger game was big, I think, to have basically two weeks to have all your faculties to play this uh, frozen tundra game. Mitch, uh, Sunday, it's another meeting with the Buffalo Bills. It was, what, about a month ago these two teams played last. It was an arrowhead. And uh, it seems like the Bills in, of recent years have been winning the regular season games, but then the Chiefs come back and win the postseason games. Is there anything different about this Bills team that it was a month ago other than being a really hot team at the time? Yes, and I don't think – People have talked about it enough. And and hear me out on this. When they came here, when they landed their plane here on December the 9th to play December the 10th, first of all, they had the advantage of a two-week. They had to buy. They had two weeks to get ready for the Chiefs. Uh, that was part of the five straight games where there was nine to 14 days by Chiefs opponents to get ready for the Chiefs. I mean, that was swimming with the Sharks. Now, the Bills, when they landed the plane on that 9th of December date, was 6-6. Six and six. They had a 5% chance of winning the AFC East. So what happened? Ken Dorsey gets fired. They put in Joe Brady. What they did was bought a DeLorean and went back to the future. Because how Buffalo has pulled this off is they went back to 2020 and 2021 and started using Josh Allen as a rushing centerpiece. Think Colin Klein 2012 here. Because we saw in the first couple years of Josh Allen, he's such an effective runner, and yes, he can scramble his 52-yarder for a touchdown, which is the second largest, longest run in playoff history for a TD by a quarterback. Last week against Pittsburgh was a scramble, ad lib play. But there was also five design quarterback runs in that game. 44% of Josh Allen's rushing total this year has come in this winning streak. Basically what Buffalo did, being desperate, because I think Sean McDermott's job might have been in jeopardy if he doesn't make the playoffs, is they said, we are going back to what we can do. And then using James Cook in the run game. Their time of possession in this winning streak is by far the best in the NFL at 36 minutes. Hmm. So what's that done? Done two things. They control the game. Uh, they keep their defense, which has been beaten up off the field. But their defense has 30 takeaways for 99 takeaway points. Think of the Chiefs game. Tip pass by Greg Rousseau interception of the Chiefs are going to probably score on their first possession. They're driving. And so that was a big one. Another one was a uh, fumble by Rashi Rice at midfield that gave Buffalo the ball that they scored off that one. So what Buffalo has done, you're thinking, how are they different? They, they kind of redid their whole blueprint. We're going to run the ball, control the game, but we'll throw some play passes to Dalton Kincaid or Stephon Diggs. But Kincaid's become the centerpiece, too. They became the 2020 Bills of the 2012 K-State Wildcats, and that's why that's how Buffalo's even at this point. 
Well, Mitch, this is a big one. First time Mahomes <laughs> plays in a playoff game on the road, and it happens to be in a very hostile NFL environment in Orchard Park. Looking forward to listening to the call. Thank you for your time, Mitch, and uh, we'll hope to be talking to you soon. Yep, and Echo Boydo got 13 special team snaps. There we go. So take, take a bow, Echo Boydo. <laughs> really quickly, too, I, I just get a little, he hasn't ever played in a road playoff game. And technically, playing in Super Bowl 55 wasn't a road game, technically. But, boys, that was a road game. That was COVID. That wasn't corporate, Joe corporate, sipping cognac and smoking cigars. They put in, they had like 7,500 first responders come into the game for free who actually didn't behave all that well that night. I mean, our bus got pelted with stuff. Like, if that's a neutral game, you know, I'll buy you lunch. So that was everything a road game looked like. So he's played on the road, and he's 39-11 on the road. So I got every bit of confidence that he can go on there and win this game. All right, Mitch. Again, looking forward to the call. Let's keep the uh, the table spots, the breaking the tables to a minimum, and we'll hopefully talk soon. That's pretty dumb. I mean, if that's your tradition, I'm sorry. That's dumb. Okay. Who's out of that one, Bruno? Like, nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. Thanks, well, Mitch. He's getting a broken spine. That's good. That's the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Schultz, here on the game. We need to take a break. That's going to end hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to give away two pairs of tickets to the K-State women's basketball game against the Kansas Jayhawks. Hour two is next.